Well, hey, New City, so glad that you're here uh, with us for the service. We start a new series today called House Church. Uh, House Church is a series that, that will be a study in First Peter. And so uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, now would be a good time to pick out your phone and, uh, or pick up your phone. Uh, hopefully you've already picked out your phone. Pick up your phone and, and uh, open up your Bible app and go to First Peter chapter one. That's where our, our reading was from today. That's where our sermon will be from uh, today. Our whole series will be a study in First Peter. In this series, we are going to be uh, really pressing in on the fact that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people chosen by God, that you are uh, responsible for the church in your house. And everybody who's watching today uh, is uh, having church in your house. And so it seems appropriate for us to uh, anoint you and to say you have been called as a kingdom of priests to have a church in your home, so I'm glad that you are doing that today. So before we jump into the sermon uh, content, I just want to ask you a, a question. Is how is uh, the Rona treating you, all right? Uh, how, are, how are you doing? And I'm not asking that question rhetorically. I really want you to sort of examine how, how are you doing? Because if I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I'm not doing that great all the time. <laughs> when, you know, when, the, when, when restrictions are increased, when the challenges of the coronavirus are uh, just pressing in, it is hard for me, difficult for me. And I've heard many people over the last few weeks say, uh, I cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't seem like there is an end to this. And that's a challenging place to be. And if you've been paying attention to um, the, the news regarding mental health in our state and mental health around the country, you can see that a lot of people are really under pressure intellectually, emotionally, uh, because of the coronavirus and all the other things going on. I mean, with the racial unrest, uh, the political election, there's just a lot of pressure right now in our cultural moment. And so I was just sort of thinking about metaphors for this kind of moment. And I, my mind led me to John Paul Sartre's book, or his play, No Exit. Uh, in the play, No Exit, uh, Sartre depicts hell. Uh, he, he's, he's not a friend of Christianity. This is not his sort of view of a biblical hell, but just uh, this is his play depicting hell as he sees it. It's uh, two women and a man trapped in a waiting room with no way out of the exit. There's no exit out of this room. And what happens in the room is they're, uh, all their past, everybody's in this room because they've had some sort of uh, criminal past or at least a past in their life that they're ashamed of. And that past is brought to light uh, inside of this room. And so all of their insecurities are laid bare in front of one another. And the apex of the play is this line now made famous in John Paul Sartre's uh, play, No Exit, hell is other people. And I can tell you, you put people, sinners in a room for long enough and people will begin to develop that sort of sense that hell can be at times other people. Uh, the implication of Sartre's play is that hell begins when hope ends. That's the real implication of the play, which is why we're studying First Peter right now. Because Edmund Clowney says about First Peter, he says, uh, Peter writes of a sure hope, a, a hope that holds the future and the present because it is anchored in the past. Now I can tell you the world needs Jesus' kingdom of priests to be activated and deployed with a message of hope. Like, like the world needs messengers of hope right now like never before. You see, we are in the hope business and people are buying right now. I mean, they are buying. 
because they are desperate for information and they are desperate for hope, but there are too many people in the marketplace right now selling fear and outrage and not enough people selling hope and justice. I mean, can somebody hit the heart button on the live stream right now? Look, there are too many people in the marketplace selling fear and selling outrage and too few people showing up in everyday conversations saying, here is hope. And this is what justice looks like. And I want you to know the big idea of this series, this is the big idea of the series, I will repeat this line over and over again throughout this series, that you have permission to be a priest. You have permission by God to be a priest and to consider your house a church and your neighborhood your parish. You've been given permission by God to be a priest, to consider your house a church and your neighborhood your parish. This is 1 Peter 2, 9. It's not in the reading today, but this is a, a, a key verse. I've already mentioned it already in the sermon, a key verse for our, uh, for our meditation in this series. But you are, listen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may. Do you hear that? You are a priesthood that you may. What, what may you do because you are a priesthood? Here's what you may do. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You may proclaim the hope that exists in Jesus to the world who is experiencing levels of hopelessness they haven't experienced before. Listen, the whole world right now is experiencing, in particular our state, in particular your neighborhood, in particular your family, are experiencing a real strain emotionally. Many people are walking around either, either with their head down physically or with their head down emotionally, kind of in the moment, in, in the moment being strained, in the moment feeling emotional stress and pain. And I can, if, if I can just encourage you, we cannot sense, all right, we cannot make sense uh, of our present suffering without picking our heads up to see God's faithfulness and his future glory. And as I've reread 1 Peter 1 over and over and over again this week, the verse that has been the stumbling verse for me has been verse 6. Listen to it. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I just underlined that. You have been grieved by various trials. Now I know this is a lot of this is religious persecution happening in, in Peter's letter, but can, can we not just say, hey, we have been grieved culturally, globally, by various trials. And yet he says, in this you rejoice. We need perspective to find joy even in the grieving of our trials. We need perspective. And so what's the this he's referring to in 1 Peter 1, 6? It's verses three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has constantly been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is, here it is, like he's caused to be born again. This is a, God has done something. He's rescued us. He saved us. He caused it to happen. And we've been rescued to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by, God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter is trying to say 
to a people who are grieved by trials is that you are secure in God's kingdom. You are secure in your salvation, that God is, is, uh, is provided for you something that is unperishable, undefiled, unfading. You are being guarded in the salvation that he's given you as a gift. In other words, we must not be imprisoned by the present moment because Jesus already freed us in the past and has secured our future. Edmund Cloudy says it this way, and I think it's very powerful what he says. He says, our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Our hope is, remains, <laughs> remains in the present. Jesus is alive. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming, and he will come again, my friends. Look, to give us perspective, Peter writes this letter using a motif to help us to sort of wrap our minds around what it what's happening in first Peter is he's saying I need to give you a metaphor that will help you to live in a challenging time and so Peter gives us a metaphor he writes this letter using a motif of the Babylonian exile when he closes the letter in first Peter 5 13 he writes from she the church who is in Babylon so he's He's hitting this, this, this key, this Babylonian exile, this, this note that's supposed to be sort of this metaphor that we walk into to find out and discover how we are to live in a challenging time. He's helping us to gain perspective, to lift our head up, to see what God has done in the past, and to see what God will do in the future, and to see how we are to live right now in the present. You see, as he writes the letter in 1 Peter 1.1, he addresses it this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to Greek people using a Jewish metaphor about the, dis- the diaspora, the dispersion, the exile. He's saying this will help you. If you know something about the, uh, the, 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 this Babylonian exilic period, if you know something about it, you will, you'll be able to s- discover how to live right now in the present moment you're in. Mike Frost has helped with this in his book, Exiles. He says this, if we are to be faithful exiles, like the Hebrew exiles in Babylon, we must be thrown back to our most challenging and inspiring memories. For the Hebrews, that canon of memory included the radical stories of the Exodus narrative. We think about all that God did when he rescued a people from slavery in Egypt and brought them into a life of worship. We must not be mesmerized by life here in Babylon, he says, nor must we become content with the values of Babylon or the symbols of temporal earthly might. We must hold resolutely to our dangerous memories of the Messiah who dwelt on foreign soil and demonstrates plainly what what the exile's life must be like. And so he says, do you see how the Hebrew people who were in the Babylonian exile looked back to the Exodus and see, and they saw God's faithfulness and they found courage for their present moment. We too can look back and see Jesus' faithfulness and find courage through his faithfulness. And so we can look to Jesus and see certain signs and symbols of Christianity that are present in times of suffering even. One of the big ideas here is that we are settlers, not, <laughs> that we are not, sorry, settlers, but we are sojourners. We are not to be settlers here in this present moment, but we are sojourning. We are exiles and sojourners, says Peter in 1 Peter. Now, 
one of the games that we like to play in our family, we've tried during COVID time to play more board games. Uh, I don't know if you're a board game fan, but we like to play Settlers of Catan. And I can tell you that I usually win at Settlers of Catan in our household. Uh, I, um, I can say this, uh, that most of the fights that we've had during board games have been because of my gloating while winning uh, during board games, in particular Settlers of Catan. I, I happen to be, I think, in my perspective, a pretty gracious loser. Um, but I'm an ungracious winner. <laughs> I let everybody know, like when I'm doing well, uh, I do like to celebrate. That's caused a lot of challenges in our home playing board games. I can tell you that what's interesting about the settler's mentality uh, is, is in a lot like Settlers of Catan, we, we are, we're spending a lot of time gathering earthly resources. Settlers spend a lot of time accumulating earthly wealth. And the Bible's constantly trying to help us to separate ourselves in a healthy way from earthly things. So we read things like this in Matthew 8:36: for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What's happening in the biblical narrative consistently is God is constantly saying, don't get too attached to earthly things. In 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, I urge you as sojourners in exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. To, to have a healthy distance between yourself and earthly things. In, in Luke 9, 58, I mean, when we look to Jesus as our example, as the premier example of life in exile, we, we see that Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he didn't settle. He was sojourning, but he didn't settle. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a, a place to lay his head. He wasn't accumulating wealth in this world. He was sojourning. See, settlers pin their hopes to the present, but sojourners have their hopes set on the future. And Peter, the, who's writing this letter, also is the author of the first sermons recorded in the book of Acts. In Acts 3.19, you can hear this tonality of Peter's gospel presentation. Repent, therefore, and turn back from your sins, uh, that your sins may be blotted out. So he says, repent, turn to God, so your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come for the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, here it is, until the time of restoring of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In other words, he's saying a big portion of the gospel presentation is God's a restoration of all things. Don't become so attached to this earthly, earthbound, broken world because more of these broken things isn't going to fix your broken life. But hold on to Jesus and his unbreakable, unfading, unperishable gospel and he is making all things new for you and me and that there is an imperishable existence ahead of us. See, settlers find their ultimate security in earthly and their earthly citizenship They've pinned all their hopes on, on the earthly systems and structures and powers. But sojourners find their ultimate security in our heavenly citizenship. That's where we find our ultimate security. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are, we are right now being refreshed by his Holy Spirit, but as we are being refreshed, we are awaiting his restoration of all things. You see, when earthly powers are unpredictable, and they often are unpredictable, remember that God's power is utterly predictable. This is part of the encouragement that Peter is giving in this section of scripture we're studying today. And just listen to 
the, the language he uses in the opening words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What's this mean? Well, he's saying, I just want you to remember that God is in control and he has always been in control. And Jesus and salvation have always been a part of God's plan. So when you skip to verse 10, concerning the salvation of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time or spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, God has always been in control. He foreknew everything that's happening. He is still in control and you can trust him. So when everything else around you is in his, it seems so unpredictable and the, the political environment seems really unpredictable, I can tell you God's kingdom is utterly predictable. Like you can lean into him and his kingdom way. Earthly systems run by sinners will never provide the security that our heavenly kingdom run by our savior provides. And so when life starts to feel a little unsettled and things get to feel, you know, the environment around you starts to feel extraordinarily stressful, I want you to know that God is in control. And so I've been asking myself the question, what keeps me from the joy that I should be experiencing in the trials that I'm facing right now. And, you know, I, I've, I've thrown my hands up many times in the last few weeks. I mean, this stinks, man. Like what we're going through is awful. The, 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 the levels and layers of negative experience are kind of mounting up and you can see it. Like the emotional toll is being paid. People are feeling worn out and beat down and they're in need of hope. And I'm reading 1 Peter 1, 6 over and over again. And this she rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials and I've been asking the Lord, where's my joy? What's keeping me from the joy that you have come to give me? What's keeping me from the experience that joy in my life? And I think the most significant obstacle to joy in the present is the settler's mentality. That's what keeps me from joy. Is having the mindset of a settler rather than the mindset of a sojourner. You see, a core value of every settler is fitting in and feeling at home. Like those who are trying to settle are looking for ways to fit in and to feel at home. Hebrews 13, 14 reminds us, for we have no lasting city, we are seeking the city that is to come. That's our, that's our position, Christian. We're not looking to settle here, but we have a new city, a new Jerusalem, a new reality that we are looking for, one that's unperishable, unbreakable, untainted by sin. That's where our hope is. That's where, that's where our eyes are fixed. That's what we're looking forward to. So Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh which wage war against your soul to, to practice a safe distance from the things of this world that tangle you up and hold you down. Miroslav Wolf in his essay, Soft Difference, says, First Peter is the epistle whose main theme is Christian life in a non-Christian environment. It's teaching us how to live out our faith when the current environment doesn't support necessarily our faith. So what do sojourners do? 
If we're, we're not called to be settlers, we're called to be sojourners. What do sojourners do? Well, sojourners are witnesses to a better home. That's what sojourners are. Like, hey, are you discontent here? Well, guess what? God's making all things new. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, verse four. Like, let me tell you about what God's at work doing and how he's the ultimate solution to our, to our problems, how he's the one who is making all things right again. And look, what, what, what happens to you when you become a Christian is that you become born again, but it's that, that idea of being born again is so complex. You see, our rebirth, it transforms us from settlers to sojourners. It changes us. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That living hope is that resurrection of all things to the power of Jesus Christ. Like he's, he's born us again to a living hope. It's not a dead hope because Christ raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. And Timothy and Chester book, Everyday Church, is what they say. Christians are not strangers because they have moved from their homeland to a new country. No, they are exiles because their identity has so radically changed that they are no longer at home in their country of birth. What happens when you become a Christian is that that distance from this earthly world begins to happen for you. You begin to feel like, I'm not at home here. This is not my forever place. That this world, because of the curse of sin, is not hospitable to human, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not providing an environment for human flourishing. And most of the world can say, no duh, right now. Like we recognize there's not a lot of human flourishing going on. But to be born again means that you have a brand new life, a whole new identity. You see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The oldest passed away, the newest come. Like you've been made new by God and the miracle of the Holy Spirit working in you. But our new identity also includes a new citizenship and a new mission in service to our king. It's, it's, a, transfer, it's a transference of ultimate allegiance. You see, we are sojourners sent on mission with God. John 20, 21 is a verse I go to often here at New City. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, he says. And we just need to hit pause here. The Father sent Jesus. Like this, is, this is sweeping implications for you and me. Look, before the foundation of the world, the Father chose to send his Son to rescue us and bring us home to his kingdom. In 1 Peter 1.20, he was foreknown, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now I've asked this question throughout the years a number of times. I mean, I've, this is one of those questions you ask when you are, it's late at night, you know, you're sitting on the porch, you're sitting in the sky, and you're just kind of riffing, and you go, why, why, why this world and not some other world? Like if you were God. Would you have made the world this way? We, we, could, we could kick that, you know, kick that conversation around for a little while. Like, why, why a world with sin? And why a world with redemption? Why a world with death? Like, why this world? And that's a question I honestly do not have an answer to. 
I just don't. I don't know why this world and not some other world. I can ask God that question someday. I hope I will be able to ask him that question, like why this world and not some other world, but that's just not a question I have the answer to. But there's enough information here to understand something about this world itself and why God created this world. I, I don't know why God created this world in contrast to other worlds, but I know why God created this world because he, he has a tremendous capacity to love. See, somewhere in eternity past, God must have asked this question because he foreknew everything that was going to happen. He had to ask this question. <laughs> Is it worth it? It wasn't like God created the world without it knowing how it was all going to end. He foreknew it. That's what the text is teaching us. And so back in eternity past, he looked at you living your life right now with your faults and with your shortcomings, with all the mistakes that you have made. And he said, is it worth it for me to create you? And you are alive today because Jesus decided you were worth dying for. Like he created you knowing it was going to require his death on the cross to redeem and to rescue you. And he created you anyway because that's what he thinks of you. So Sartre might say hell is other people, but Jesus says my life is for other people. In fact, he says that in terms of a purpose statement, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I have come to offer my life for other people because people are valuable. <laughs> they are so valuable to me. And so we can see here that God is a missionary God. The Father sent the Son, but we are also his missionary people. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you, Jesus says. You see, the story of the Bible is a story of sending. It's a story of a father who sends the son. It's a story of a son who sends the spirit. It's a story of us, Christians, being sent by the son with the spirit for the benefit of the world. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, you have been sent by Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a priest. You, you have been sent as a priest to your home with a message of hope for your neighborhood. Let me just hit pause for a second and just. It's, it's tempting for pastors to, to always go just, just to the positive, all right, of everything going on. And I know, I know people are in pain. It's, it's really hard for me not to be meeting with you physically on a week, week in and week out basis. But I have to say, I wonder if in God's providence right now that I have to wonder if he's not preparing you and equipping you to take ownership of your faith in ways that you never saw possible. We've always said at New City that, that the church is not an event you attend, it's people you belong to. And <laughs> And, and it's, it's hard. The, the belonging piece is hard right now. It is hard for all of us. 
But I wonder if we've become addicted to Christian events to the point that we, f- we failed to see that there is a priesthood of all believers doctrine that we need to embrace and that you have been called to be a priest, that your home is an outpost of ministry, and that your neighborhood is desperately in need of Jesus. Now you've been stuck at home for all this time. For what purpose? Maybe perhaps because your neighbors need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Look, look, we've been given this message that God, God takes people who are dead in their sins and by the power of the Holy Spirit makes them alive again. The gospel's never been about God taking bad people and making them good people. God takes dead people and makes them alive again and you have that message. And can I say, like what God has saved you from, he will often send you to. Since we're on the topic of mission, when you look back in your life and you see what, the, what the, the fruit of salvation has been in your life and how God has rescued you, and I can look back at my life and see the place from which God has rescued me, he's often called me to the places from which he rescued me. We, we've said it this way for years at New City, your purpose lies at the center of the world's pain and your passion. You're a priest if you're a Christian. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living in you. You have a ministry that God wants to use like right now in your life during COVID. He wants to use you in your home and your neighborhood to share the good news of Jesus. See, the church is like this movie trailer advertising the things to come and I am looking forward to seeing movies again. Uh, oh, I've been watching movies on, at home, but I've been looking forward to going to the movie theater again because I am nostalgic and I like watching movies at the theater. But the church is like that trailer you watched before the movie that advertises the, the upcoming film. And, and it's the, the point of the movie trailer is for, is for people to say, you know, I want that. Well, that, that, looks, that looks good. I, I think I'd like to see that. You know, what happens when the church is living out her mission, when priests are activated and they're sharing the hope of Jesus, they're living the hope of Jesus, they're displaying the hope of Jesus, is that people in the world look in and go, you know what, everybody else is stressed out because of the politics, and everybody else is angry, everybody else is outraged, there's a joy in you. Even in the outrage, even in the grievances, even in the difficulties, there's a joy in you that I haven't seen anywhere else. That's that's a witness. Because Christians are praying, Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're praying it. They're praying it for their neighborhood, they're praying it for their home, they're praying it for the country, they're praying it for their, their state, they're praying it for their city. They're praying that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven and they're willing to be the kingdom presence of God here on earth. Look, the Christian can always see the light at the end of the tunnel because our hope is a living hope. We can always see it. We're, we always have access to it. In the language of 1 Peter 1.5, we, we have our eyes set through faith on the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can see it. 
the restoration of all things. And we're living out our priestly values, when we're living out, when we're living out our calling as missionaries, as ambassadors of Jesus, we're giving other people the ability to see it too, because they can see it in our lives. In 1 Peter 1, 6, he says, in this you rejoice. See, God's making every sad thing to become untrue. And I think Christian witness, at its best, is seen in how we face trials. It's seen in how we face trials. So, Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, <laughs> that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, you know what trials do is they, they purify your faith. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you not see, see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Like you, you, you see what God's doing even in trials as he's stripping away all the impurities of your faith. In the words of Edmund Cloudy, he says, trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, we should actually be glad for them. Listen to his, listen to his rationale. He says, God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. The fires of affliction or persecution will not reduce our faith to ashes. Fire does not destroy gold. It only removes combustible impurities. Can I say right now, the American church is in the refiner's fire. I believe that. And so I'm praying, Jesus, purify your church. Burn away the impurities. Burn away the self-confidence. Drive us to you, our Savior. See, sojourners are not settlers. We're not, we're not trying to find our home here. We know where our home is. There's another temptation, though, and I, I feel it. I, I feel it right now in my bones. Because it's easy to look at the outrage, it's easy to look at the, 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 the lack of truthfulness in the world. It's easy to look at you know, the, 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 the unnecessary friction between human beings and to say, I want no part of this. Uh, I'm tapping out, I'm out. Look, sojourners are not settlers, but we're also not separatists. The calling that God has given us is not one that, that pulls us away from our engagement in the world. Miroslav Wolf, in his essay, Soft Difference, was an essay on First Peter, he says, it looked as if the church did not forge her identity through rejection of her social environment, but through the acceptance of God's gift of salvation and its values. She refused to operate within the alternative affirmation of the world versus denial of the world, but surprised people the strange combination of difference and acculturation. She was sure of her mission to proclaim the mighty deeds of God for the salvation of the world, but refused to use either pressure or manipulation. Rather, she lived fearlessly her soft difference she lived for the kingdom and that was winsome it was attractive to the world see christian people are kingdom people first think of matthew 6 33 but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness okay here's here's a warning for you okay 
if you're going to be a kingdom first person, we have to be careful that we do not care more about American politics than we do our kingdom purpose. We have to be careful that we don't reserve our greatest passion, our highest energy, Uh, could could I just we have to be careful that our voice can I just evaluate your voice evaluate your words are you talking more about American politics or Or Jesus in his kingdom? Are you a greater witness for your political persuasion than you are for Jesus, your Savior? What breaks my heart right now in the American dialogue is that, is that people are more willing to witness for their political party or their political position than they are to witness to Jesus who rescues and saves sinners from death and destruction. I mean, the only one who can fix the challenges that we are facing in the world today, whether it be from coronavirus or whether it be from uh, racial inequality, is Jesus Christ. Like, he's the answer. And a kingdom first people are not known primarily for who they oppose. A kingdom first people are not known primarily for who they oppose. They are known for their good deeds done in love. And so 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, but keep your conduct. Christian, mind your conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, they may see your loving action and glorify God on the day of visitation. When the whole, this is the meaning here, when the Holy Spirit comes on someone for the purpose of rescue, when they get saved. In other words, your good actions, your, your loving actions, your, your putting on display the kingdom reality of Jesus, you're giving people a foretaste of what God is at work doing is a witness. When people witness it, they receive salvation as a consequence. And Mike Frost says in his book, Exiles, the Christian movement must be living, breathing, a living, breathing a promise to society that it is possible to live out the values of Christ, that it is to be radical, uh, troubling alternative to the power imbalances in the empire. In a world of greed and consumerism, the church ought to be a community of generosity and selflessness. In, in, in a host empire that is committed to marginalizing the poor, resisting the place of women, causing suffering to the disenfranchised, the Christian community must be generous to a fault, pursuant of justice, flushed with mercy, putting on display the kingdom reality of Jesus, his restoration of all things. See, Christians are not settlers or separatists. We are priestly group of sojourners witnessing about Jesus, our king, and the way of his kingdom. And that leads people to salvation. That's what he called us to be. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. 1 Peter 1.13. Being sober-minded. 
set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Friend, you have a permission to be a priest. You have it. I, I, maybe, <laughs> you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to, I'd like to invite you to the church someday. I'd like to be able to anoint you with oil if you're a Christian and you're a recipient of the Holy Spirit and just let you know you're a priest. You've been commissioned to consider your house a church and your neighborhood a parish. That God's called you to some place. You are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what you are. And boy, does the world ever need a kingdom of priests who are activated with the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm biting my tongue because I, I want to riff more and I shouldn't. Um, but let me just say, if you're one of those people who've been struggling and you've been like, hey, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, can, can I say that you will not see, you cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel, if you're not, if, if, if your nose isn't in the word of God and the word of God isn't lifting your head up so you can see that Jesus has always been at work and he always will be at work. And man, look, he, he is restoring the world, lost and broken by sin. He is making all things new. This is the work of Jesus. There is, my friend, without a doubt, light at the end of the tunnel. And if you see it, it's your responsibility to share it. Because there's a whole lot of people in the world who don't see it. They don't, they don't know that Jesus is a redeemer and he redeems all things. They don't know that whatever you've done in your past that Christ can overcome in his death, burial, and resurrection. They don't know that. And right now, look, we're not inviting a whole lot of people to uh, Sunday services. I mean, you can come online. Anybody's welcome, certainly. Anybody's welcome. But listen, I think if there's a benefit to COVID right now is that you're at home and you're responsible. You've been given permission to be a priest. So take that mantle, take that responsibility and do something with it the glory of God in the service of other people. All right, so we end our services in, uh, with a few movements, all right? So we pray together. We uh, practice generosity. We encourage you to be generous. The New City, you can do so on the link on the website. Uh, you can pull out your app and be generous that way. We'd encourage you to continue on generosity because we are a kingdom of priests activated right now, <laughs> bringing the hope of Jesus to the world. And we have exciting Be Good News updates coming for you in the next few weeks. I'm so excited about what God's been doing with our Be Good News initiative. Uh, when it comes to communion, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had outdoor, an outdoor house church gathering at our house. And uh, as part of the outdoor house church gathering, through outdoors, socially distanced, we're practicing COVID safe practice at our home. Uh, 
but we, we had the TV up outside. And as a part of our house church gathering, we've been choosing uh, a child uh, to lead us in the communion meditation. That's been one of my favorite pieces of, the, of our out, outdoor house church gathering is having uh, one of our children read. And so this last couple weeks ago, it was, it was Matthew's gospel and read uh, about the, the body and the blood of Jesus. And then uh, to lead us in prayer and then to lead us in the taking of the communion uh, together. And I encourage you to come up with a practice of your own in your home where you can break the bread, remember Christ's body broken for you, take the cup, remember his blood shed for you. And you can celebrate what Jesus has done and how, as the Bible says, by his wounds we receive our healing. Uh, for prayer, we've been praying corporately together, and I'd love to be able to lead you in a prayer, uh, and uh, we'll close our service with this prayer. Almighty God, you called your church to witness that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. Help us to proclaim the good news of your love, that all who hear it may be drawn to you. Help us to practice your love, that all who experience it may be drawn to you. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come and you will be done through your people as it will be in heaven. Amen. God bless.